that Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourself handfuls of ash from the furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become a fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them towards the heaven, and they caused boils to break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord has spoken to Moses. Thus far the word of God, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray together. O Lord, as we come to the point in our worship service when we would hear your word, when we would hear Christ even from the scriptures, the living word by his appointment, we pray, O God, that your spirit would bless the preaching of your word, the hearing of your word. Lord, we are but frail sinners, and we pray that your spirit would bless us to hear the word with understanding, that it would be profitable in our hearts. Lord, that you would bless our pastor in equipping by the spirit that the word would go forth with clarity and a demonstration of the spirit's power, so that in all these things Christ would have the preeminence and be exalted before our eyes, even as we hear this word of old and your actions of old, Lord, they are yet profitable for our instruction today. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This passage opens with God visiting the fifth plague. By this point, we can see a pattern with each of the plagues. A plague is announced and then it unfolds. That's a very simple, broad outline of what's happening. But there are also aspects of each plague that are unique. Moses goes before Pharaoh as God has sent him. He comes with the same message, let my people go that they may serve me. Although this is the fifth plague, this is not the fifth time Moses has come before Pharaoh. It's only the fourth time because the third plague came without warning. It fell suddenly upon the land. The plague of lice came without warning. As we will see, the pattern of the fifth plague is similar to that of the fourth plague. And the sixth plague follows the pattern of that of the third. But God's dealing is not identical. As the sovereign God over all, he has the right to do exactly as he pleases. He's not bound by the past. He's not bound by man. He alone is God and always does his holy will. There's a contest that's recorded in these first 12 chapters of Exodus, a contest between God, the Lord, the covenant faithful Lord, the God of the Hebrews, indeed the God who is over all, the God of all creation, the one true and living God. There's a contest between him and a mere man, the king of Egypt, who believes that he is sovereign, that he answers to no one, that his will shall reign supreme. But let us remember, this is not a contest between equal, equals. 
There is no one like unto God. There is no equal to God. God alone is the creator and sustainer of all life. Satan himself is sustained by God. As one of the Puritans said, Satan is God's Satan. And he answers to God. He only does as God would permit him to do. And that's true for men on the earth. So let us remember, this contest, this conflict, is not between equals. We see here the ongoing, the outplaying of that contest at the beginning of the garden. The seed of the woman with the seed of the serpent. Israel is that seed of the woman. It is within Israel, within Judah, that we have the line that is Christ's line. When in the fullness of time, Christ will come, born of a woman, the Son of God, coming from heaven to save his people. And then we have Egypt, who represents the seed of the serpent, who is trying to destroy Israel and that line. Even though Pharaoh may not have understood that, he is still a servant of Satan. Pharaoh is but a worm before the almighty king of heaven. You think that's too harsh of language? Go read Psalm 22. This is one of the main truths that's communicated in the book of Revelation. That God is God and God alone does as he will with the generations of men upon the earth. Just as Isaiah said, the nations are but a drop in the bucket before the God of heaven who is alone, Lord God over all. As the Lord is sending these plagues on Egypt, he's, he's revealing himself. He's making himself known. We've talked about this. You remember when the plagues begin, or when, when the whole contest begins, and Moses comes to Pharaoh and he says, the Lord God declares to you, let my people go. And what did Pharaoh say? I don't know the Lord. And no doubt there was truth to that. Although the evidence of creation was that he is, and like so many today, creation crying out that God is God and many of his attributes are on display and yet so many would say, I don't know the Lord. Well, through the plagues, Pharaoh and Egypt and Israel are coming to know who the Lord is. The Lord is displaying then his relationship with the sons of Abraham his covenant people, Israel. You notice in, in the opening to this chapter, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and tell him, <clears throat> Thus says the Lord, and there's something new, the Lord God of the Hebrews. He's their God. He's in this relationship with them. You know, we wonder how much of you know, what Moses is saying, the, the, the conversations between Moses and Pharaoh, how much that filters out through the land. I'm assuming quite a bit of it does. You know, the, the power of the word of mouth, it, it can spread something. We think social media spreads things at an accelerator rate, but it's been so down through the generations of men that somebody hears something, they pass it on, it rapidly is dispensed. And I'm pretty confident that that's what was happening in that day. And so when this word came, the Hebrews, you know, seeing these mighty plagues, even experiencing some of the earlier ones, they hear that the Lord God is telling Pharaoh, he's their God. I'm the God of the Hebrews. Indeed, God had made a covenant with Abraham, the father of these people, and he is keeping it. In other words, the Hebrews are the sheep of his pasture, and as their shepherd, he will bring them out of the house of bondage and deliver them into the land that he promised to give to Abraham some 430 years before. And why? Why? Why would God show so much favor to this people 
They're so weak. They're, they're in bondage for 400 years. They've been slaves in Egypt. They have no power. They have no ability. They have no wealth. Why would God care for them? Because he loves them. He made a promise to be their God. So he told Abraham, I will be a God to you and to your children after you in their generations. Take that to heart. Why should God love you? It's because he's determined to do so. Even before the foundation of the earth, all those whom he appointed in Christ for salvation, he loves. And he has loved and he will continue to love. This is so true for us today. The people of God, loved by him from before the earth, created in Christ Jesus as his own special possession. What are the mighty works of God in Egypt compared to the works that God performed some 1,400 years later when the Lord Jesus came and walked upon the face of the earth? The mighty works that he did as Jesus did the will of the Father, as he spoke the word of the Father, as he obeyed the Father, and he went to a cross carrying the sins of his people and suffered the wrath of God so that his people might be forgiven the guilt of their sin, the penalty for their sin taken away. And he died. In his humanity, he died. And on the third morning, raised again. Mighty works, mightier works than these plagues that we hear in the book of Exodus. Indeed, we marvel at these mighty plagues. We should. But let us marvel and wonder and worship the God of heaven for the work of salvation accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin that we sinners could be redeemed unto God, rescued from spiritual slavery and the dominion of Satan and death. Ultimately, these events in Exodus are a sign pointed to that greatest Exodus of all that was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. One greater than Moses came and lived and died and rose again to save a people and bring them home to heaven. That is the promised land that Abraham longed for. Not a strip of earth on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean, but indeed heaven to be with the Lord God forever. That's a longer introduction than usual, but I think it's important to be reminded of these things. We're going to look at the uh, this text, a very simple outline, the, the fifth plague, which is disease, the sixth plague, which is boils, and then we will consider the matter of Pharaoh's heart that is hardened by the Lord. We talked about this somewhat in sermon discussion last week, and we're going to take it up a little bit more thoroughly this morning because you might have noticed with the sixth plague, we are told that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Thus far, Pharaoh has hardened his heart, and now we're told that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, let's begin with the fifth plague, this disease. Notice again, verse 1, the command of the Lord is renewed as before. So the Lord said, to Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, same thing he's been told over and over and over again, let my people go that they may serve me. Remember, Pharaoh thinks he's a sovereign. These people serve him. He's not about to let them to go and to serve someone else. But he doesn't know who he's dealing with. He's had evidence of it. But it's got to escalate more because Pharaoh's heart is hard. This word comes without change other than we notice that God has said, that he is the God of the Hebrews. But the command remains the same, let my people go. And it's a message that comes from God, not with Moses. This doesn't originate with Moses. God has sent Moses as his prophet. Moses is God's messenger. And knowing the heart of Pharaoh, he adds, for if you refuse to let them go, 
which is what he's done. Although he said, okay, I'll let him go. The plague is over. He said, nope, I won't let him go. That's happened twice already. But God says, for if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, verse 3, behold, verse, uh, verse 3, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. So this fourth plague comes with a warning. I'm sorry, this fifth plague comes with a warning as with the fourth plague. God warns before it takes place. He gives Pharaoh in this an opportunity to repent. The Lord declares that his hand will be upon the animals of the people. His hand, and not his finger, as the magician said after the plague of ice, this is the finger of God. God says, my hand will be upon your animals. And so this plague is an affliction of the beast, livestock. Verse 3 tells us it's a fear pestilence. Uh, what was the disease? We don't know. There's a host of things. It's interesting how many commentators uh, speculate, but we don't know. It was, it was a disease that afflicted the animals that resulted in them their death. But think about this. The, the, these animals suffered. Many of you have pets or have had pets, and we're, we're deeply moved when we see our pets suffer. We, we love our, our pets. We are grieved when, when they die. But this is the plague upon the livestock. This is the wealth of Egypt. These animals are uh, the wealth of the farmer. Much of his wealth is tied up in them. Thus we call it livestock. And they're going to be destroyed. The livelihood of the farmers in the land will be destroyed. But the people themselves, they depend upon the animals for food, for clothing, and for, you know, they were the tractors of the day for tilling the land. Uh, or do you think of the camels that they were, you know, the 18 wheeler semis that move goods across the land? These things that the people depended on are going to be afflicted with a severe pestilence. You think about what it is for a farmer to give daily care. When I was in seminary, we, we had chickens, and you have to tend to them every day, and you, you become attached to them. And then we got two little bull calves from a dairy, and they don't have no use for bull calves. And we got them when they were a day old, and, and we cared for them and fed them and taught them to drink from a bucket. And, you know, everybody in the family was involved, and they were very dear to us all the while knowing that they would eventually be on our plate. But then you, you become attached to them, and you, you look after them. And if there's a problem, you're concerned and you want to resolve it. Think about this plague striking all of the livestock. I'll explain the all in a minute. All across the land, people of Egypt would have been alerted. And then God says he's going to make a distinction. We've seen this once before. Verse 4, and the Lord will make a difference. He's, still, he's talking to Pharaoh through Moses. The Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. This will be a proof that this isn't just some random plague that came upon the land. I mean, there, this happens at times. And we've even heard it in recent days where a bird flew. When the birds from the north tundra migrate to the south, they bring an avian flu, and then the chicken farmers in the path, and the birds get it, and they have to go kill all these birds. You know, God wants Pharaoh to know that this isn't one of these random things that happens to livestock. He said, I'm going to make a distinction. The livestock of the Hebrews will be healthy, but your livestock will be afflicted. 
You see here this sovereign hand of God. This is one of the things that God is making known upon himself. He is sovereign. He is Lord of all. He does all his holy will. And he can make a distinction. So then the Lord also points when the plague is going to fall. You see that in verse 5. Then the Lord appointed a set time saying, tomorrow. And again, this demonstrates his sovereignty. That it didn't just kind of randomly drift in at some point. He said, no, he set the time. Tomorrow. He set the time. I will do this thing in the land. Verse 6, then we go on to read. So the Lord did this thing on the next day. And all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Now, you say we're going to see even in the next plague, there's things happen to animals. How, what's this all? Well, in the scriptures, all is used in two ways. Sometimes it's used in all as in every, and other times the word is used as in all sorts of. You see that a lot in the New Testament. In the Greek, in the New Testament, it has two distinct words. But it's also used this way in the Hebrew. And so when God says all, he's talking about all sorts or all kinds. So in some of the cows, some of the, the camels, some of the sheep, some of the goats, all kinds of livestock will be afflicted with this pestilence. But it's not used in a sort of the all absolutely every one. Verse 19 and verse 25 of this same chapter tells us that livestock remained and needed to be protected. And there's going to be more livestock that perishes. So the principle is full display in the New Testament. Paul in 1 Timothy 2 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's one of those alls, all kinds of men. And indeed God has been calling people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But it's not universalism. God does not save all. The scripture is very clear about that. And in this plague... God is not saying that every single animal will perish, but all kinds, all sorts will. Once more, the land was filled with what? Children, have you noticed the plagues? Time and again, will we find dead things? You know, when the river was turned to blood, there were dead fish and other creatures that lived in the, the rivers and the waters. Dead things. There were the dead frogs. And there would have been dead flies, though the Lord cleared the land of it. Remember, they were covering the ground, so people were walking on, scrunching on flies. It was just death and stench. And now all these livestock, the, the various ones that the Lord afflicted, the land is filled with dead animals and a, the stench of death and the resulting rottenness. Remember, all this points to the tenth and final plague. When the death angel will pass throughout the land, the firstborn in every house without blood on the doorpost and the lentil will die. Death, this reminds us indeed of what Adam brought upon mankind. In the garden when Adam took of the forbidden fruit, God said, In the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And Adam took and he took hold and he died. He immediately dead spiritually, cannot fellowship with God. God drives him out of the garden. He's not physically dead, but he will physically die. And indeed God then curses all of the earth because of Adam's sin. And thus we see pestilence and plagues and tornadoes and hurricanes, all these things upon the face of the earth, wars and rumors of war. Because of Adam's sin, it brought death. And we see that here in the plagues upon Egypt. Death everywhere around. 
There's a death that's coming where the death angel will pass over the land, which reminds us that at the end of the age there will be judgment and there will be the everlasting death as those who have rejected and refused to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved will be cast into a lake of fire, which is everlasting death and punishment from the hand of God. This plague has been designed to show the Egyptians that their gods were powerless, that Pharaoh was powerless. I warned us early on with the plagues that we need to be careful not to try to tie every plague to one Egyptian god or the other. Some have suggested that's what is happening to God, showing the futility of the gods of Egypt. I think it may be a byproduct, and this one particularly, because the Egyptians had two gods. One was represented by a bull and represented fertility, and they worshipped this god of their imagination, thinking that then there would be fertility for themselves, for their livestock. But there's another one, and they're very prevalent, of a female cow. If you look at the Egyptian uh, hieroglyphics and the art that remains there in the, the various ancient places of Egypt, you will see many creatures with ears on their heads. They're cow's ears, even though it might be a, a depiction of a person. So they're very much attached, attached to the cow's and that may have been God's purpose. But what we see with this plague is like Dagon of the Canaanites, the Philistines, their gods lay fallen in the presence of the Almighty God. No power, impotent, unable to, to deliver the people, even as the magicians could not at some point uh, replicate what God was doing through Moses. And even you know, we saw all along that the magicians had no ability to reverse the plague, the, the lice or the flies. God is greater than all. But once more we're told that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Pharaoh, he's heard of this. The Lord did this thing, and other livestock of the Hebrews died. So Pharaoh wonders about that. Verse 7, so he sent. He sent some group of men, some of his trusted people, to go check it out. He's heard that the livestock and amongst the Hebrews is fine. And what does he find out? Not even one. That's pretty incredible. A lot of livestock. I mean, there could have been sickness just because that's the course of things with animals. But he finds that not even one of the livestock in Israel was dead. So he knows all this, and then what does it say? But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. He refuses to see the evidence before him. He persists in unbelief. Some application before we go on. How do men consider these so-called natural disasters? Lightning strikes, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, diseases, plagues, people regard these as random, particularly in our day, random. It used to be that when I was younger, you know, they regularly in the nightly news, you know, acts of God. Uh, you read an insurance policy that there were certain acts of God that were not covered. But no more. It's just, it just happens. Sinful man sees no purpose in it. You see a demonstration of our, our collective culture of a hardening of the heart towards God. But indeed, all who are students of the Word of God, we know better. God is sovereign. These are indeed His actions. He has sent them to accomplish His purpose. And understand this, nothing is random. We can go so far as to say every drop of rain and every snowflake lands right where the Lord has sent it. 
And he could take, God knows where that drop of rain has been for the last millennium. He knows all these things. He knows all things. God is so great, so powerful, so knowledgeable, so completely above us and unlike us. God thus accomplishes all his holy will through these calamities. Calamities occur, as I was mentioning earlier, because of Adam's sin and the curse that God put upon the earth because of Adam's sin. These natural disasters, even in our day, are to be teachers to sinful men that God is. And that we as sinners have rebelled against him. And that God reigns over all the earth. And he is much displeased with the sin of mankind. B.B. Warfield, one of the old scholars of Princeton, says it well. All things without exception indeed are disposed by him. And if calamity falls upon man, it is the Lord who has done it. Remember Hebrews 10.31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Ultimately, we think of the eternity, the day of judgment, when everyone will stand before the Lord God. And if you're not found in Christ, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And they will be cast into a lake of fire that burns forever and ever. These calamities are to remind us it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. The calamities of our day are these are just these are momentary. They're they're light afflictions. Even if you, you lose loved ones or your house is destroyed, in comparison to the everlasting judgment of God, there there's no comparison. The reminders of eternity, of God's righteousness, that we are either in Christ or not. Solomon says it's better to dwell in the house of mourning than in a house of festivities. And the white or wise take it to heart. We would be wise to take it to heart. We come then to the sixth plague. It's a plague of boils. The pattern follows, the sixth plague follows the pattern of the third plague. There's judgment without warning. Moses is not sent to Pharaoh. There's no command by God to let my people go or else. We see a pattern or a cycle in the plagues. Two plagues are announced, one and two, and then the third is unannounced. And then two more plagues, the fourth and the fifth, are announced, and then the sixth is unannounced. And if you look ahead, the seventh and the eighth plagues are announced, and the nine the ninth is not allowed. And so what you see is there's three sets of three in these plagues before the tenth plague falls. One must wonder if Pharaoh figured this out. He's figured out, okay, we had two plagues that got warned about, and then we got one we didn't warn about. Okay, we just had two more plagues that got warned about. There's another one coming. We find out that after the ninth plague, Pharaoh orders Moses to get away from me. And he issues a threat. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more, for in the day that you see my face you will die. Moses' response should have sent a chill up and down Pharaoh's spine. Moses says, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. That's right before the plague of the death angel fell upon Pharaoh, his house, as well as the houses of his people. So what is the sixth plague? 
It's a miserable one, to be sure. Some of you might remember that Job was afflicted with boils from the top of his head to the sole of his foot. And he would try to itch at them with his fingers, and he was not able. He would take a piece of broken pottery to scrape at these things, to, to open up the wounds. And, and this is graphic, and that the pus and ooze could run out to have some relief from the pain. I'm sorry if you're a germaphobe, but we need to understand these, these terrible boils. We've, many of these plagues that we've looked at have said, it was awful. This plague is on man. It's, it's in him. It's in his body, in his flesh. It's a great plague. You see, in the plague, the God applies something of what we might call poetic justice. He tells Moses to go to the, the kiln, to the furnaces, where the people, the slaves, Hebrews, were firing the bricks. And he says, go and, and to take up the suit from the furnace and then throw it to the heavens and, and do it in front of Pharaoh. Make sure that you pick a place. Pharaoh, out looking at the work, are the people laboring and working? Moses comes. Make sure that, Moses, that Pharaoh's there, and then he takes some of this suit and throw it. And God says, when you do so, it will become fine dust. And that fine dust will go out and become boils upon man and beast. Whatever animals are left, those that, uh, that God didn't destroy with the prior plagues, they're going to be afflicted with these horrible, painful boils. God, we see his power to transform soot to find dust, which in turn afflicts man with boils that break out on the skin. Verse 10, Moses obeys. He did so. He took the suit, cast it into the heavens, and it went out. Here is a miracle where God turns one thing into another. And the resulting affliction... What sort of disease this is, we don't know. These are painful sores. They're boils on the land. They're infected. They run deep. They're painful. Someone suggested that there was a leprosy that came upon the people. That could be. The word's not specific. The word is used for leprosy in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament. But many of these Hebrew words are used in a multitude of ways. But it was a defliction of the skin. Matthew Henry notes... Sometimes God shows men their sin and their punishment. They had oppressed Israel in the furnaces, and now they ask that the furnaces are made as such a, much a terror to them as ever their taskmasters had been to the Israelites. Verse 10 tells us the man and the beast. This is affliction upon every living thing in Egypt. We're told that it's upon the Egyptians. We're not told that it comes upon the Israelites. We don't have the clear declaration of God that he will exempt his people. But the way that it is declared, it seems to be only upon the Egyptians. But notice what we find out in verse 11. Verse 11 we read, And the magicians could not stand. They were not exempted. Uh, Their their secret arts, their, their powers that they relied upon were incapable of keeping them. We've already seen for some time they can't replicate what, what Moses and Aaron are doing. But here we find they're afflicted. These boils are upon them. And they couldn't stand before Moses. You know, no doubt these men, advisors to Pharaoh, they've been around for all these events. It's clearly evident that they are encouraging Pharaoh in this harness. It's part of the the show and the serade that that Pharaoh has his magicians, that they're just as great as, they're just as capable as, and now they're not. And God afflicts them so much so they're so miserable they can't stand before Moses. Imagine they're in their homes in misery, clawing at their painful flesh. 
Would this be enough? No, we're told Pharaoh did not relent. Nor, as he did in the second and the fourth plagues, he didn't say, okay, okay, you know, please take this plague away and I'll let the people go. And, of course, then after the plague was gone, he said, nope, change my mind. There's, he doesn't do that. These two plagues, there's no relenting on Pharaoh's part. There's no temporary giving in. Pharaoh doesn't, Pharaoh doesn't plead for relief. He doesn't call Moses to come before him. Pharaoh's heart is so obstinate. And children will use that word we talked about before. He's bullheaded. He's bullheaded, unwilling to yield. He would rather have his people suffer. He would rather suffer himself than to yield to the Almighty God. That's what we do as sinners. Indeed, sinners resist the call of God's grace, and they would rather suffer the eternity of hell rather than to repent and come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told at the end of verse 12 that Pharaoh did not repent. His heart was hardened just as the Lord had spoken. Remember all the way back when God called Moses at the burning bush, what his mission was going to be. So I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, let my people go. He's, he told, Pharaoh, uh, told Moses, he's not going to listen to you. And that's what Moses is recording as he writes his account, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Two plagues, a multitude of animals dead, people afflicted with sores, and Pharaoh remains unmoved. Remember what I've said to you a couple of times, signs and wonders and miracles cannot change the sinner's heart. The Holy Spirit alone can change the sinner's heart. If you yourself are sitting there thinking, well, if God would just do whatever it is you think you ought to do, if God would just give me thus and so, X, Y, Z, if God would just, it won't make a difference. Signs and wonders do not change. The cry of the sinner's heart should be what God would do. Oh, God, have mercy on me and save me. In Christ Jesus, by your grace. Oh God, send the Holy Spirit to take out my hard heart and give me a heart of flesh. Don't look for signs and wonders. Look to the cross. Don't look to what God has accomplished with his son on the cross. See the the son of God, obedient to the father. See him bearing the burden of sin of others. See him suffering under the hand of God, smitten and afflicted with the wrath of God for sinners to secure their salvation. See him dying and crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See him yielding up his spirit. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. See him buried in a borrowed tomb. See him raising, raised up on the third day. See him coming forth victorious because it's impossible that the grave and the death should hold him because he's no mere man. He is the son of God accomplishing the will of the father. See him ascending into heaven where he ever lives to make intercession for his people. Hallelujah. What a savior. Hallelujah. What a savior. Oh, how precious are these sights when seen with the eye of faith. By God's people. But if you reject him. If you would harden your heart. Remember it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a sin. Of of a living God. If you look at verse 12. 
we read that the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And he did not heed them just as the Lord has spoken. That brings us to our third point. Pharaoh's heart is hardened by the Lord. What are we to make of this statement? This is the first time it's said. This The sixth plague, the previous five, Pharaoh has hardened his heart. He's a sinner. This is the nature of his heart. He has a heart of stone, and he would resist God. But this chapter closes out in verse 34 and 35 with a statement of Pharaoh, one more time where Pharaoh's hardening his heart. Even though God has hardened his heart, Pharaoh also hardened his heart at the end of the seventh plague. But from then on, we read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Go in for God alone is the one who hardens what is already hard. Pharaoh has been determined to maintain that he is sovereign, that he is a God as the people saw him, that he is able to do his will. He's been unwilling to accept that the God of the Hebrews is the great God overall, that he owes him allegiance, obedience, that he should yield to him. Pharaoh has hardened his heart. He's the very picture of a sinner ever since the beginning of time when Satan lied to Adam and told him that he could be God. And every descendant of Adam since then believes that. You believe that. That's, that's our nature as a sinner, that we can be God, that we can order our lives, that we can accomplish our will, that we have some freedom to do as we will. We notice that Pharaoh relented, but only for a moment. And just as soon as the pressure of affliction was lifted, his heart went back as it was, as I said, like the, the bow snapping back. He will even confess his guilt and make concessions. Concessions, But immediately he returns to his fort of self-sufficiency. There have been so many sinners that have suffered under the preaching of the word of God and heard of Christ and him crucified, of the salvation of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and for a moment they're convicted of their sin. They're fearful of God's wrath. And they say, oh, I must flee to Christ. I, I will someday. And they walk out of the assembly and pew, their heart snaps back. His hardness. And that moment is gone. One man puts it this way about Pharaoh. He resists, careless of the cost unto death. Pharaoh had a free will, even as we do. But it's only free as consistent with our nature. And what is our nature? We are sinners. And so we are free, and we freely sin. We are guilty of all our sin. We freely engage in it. And that's all we're capable of doing because we are guilty sinners apart from God in rebellion against God. That's our nature. And that was Pharaoh's nature. And what God did, he just went with Pharaoh's nature, and he hardened his heart. The only thing that Pharaoh could do was sin. By nature, he was God's enemy. And he would always be God's enemy. We would always be God's enemy unless and only if God intervenes. If God would send his spirit. Matthew Henry again says, Willful hardness, notice it's of the will. Willful hardness is commonly punished with judicial hardness. If men shut their eyes against the light, 
It is just with God to close their eyes. Let us dread this as the sorest judgment a man can be under this side of hell. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God had sent Pharaoh the means to soften his heart, but he had rejected them all. Moses, mind you, had prayed for Pharaoh at Pharaoh's desire. He had paid for Pharaoh an opportunity for the softening. Pharaoh's magicians had testified to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Pharaoh had come close with partial obedience in chapter 8, verse 8, I will let the people go. And later on in the same chapter, he says, go and sacrifice to God in the land. He had partial obedience. He's part way. Pharaoh even came to partial penitence after the plague, next plague. If you look at verse 27, we read, And Pharaoh sent out and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. You think? What about the other times? So this is partial. There's this, this awareness, but this is not unto salvation. He rightly declares, The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Yes, and amen, that is true. But he doesn't cry out to God for mercy and salvation. Pharaoh comes, uh, Pharaoh, think, I'm sorry, think about all the nights Pharaoh went to bed. Many times Pharaoh's, tomorrow this plague's coming. Pharaoh goes to bed. Do we think upon our beds at night? Yeah. Did Pharaoh have something to think about on his bed? There's a plague coming tomorrow. Did, did he sleep that night? Was he so hardened in his sin that he was carefree about the wrath of God that was to come upon his nation. Pharaoh had opportunities all through the night. If he'd gotten up and sought out Moses and said, I, I, I yield to God. God is God. I am not. God have mercy on me and upon my people. It would have gone differently, but Pharaoh was hard. And so Pharaoh was hardened in his sin. Whenever and wherever the gospel is preached, Sinners have an opportunity to repent, to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. But they don't, because their heart is hard. Maybe you're such a one. Maybe you've known the operation of the Holy Spirit. You sat under the preached word, and you're, you're aware of your sin. You know what you deserve. You, you hear of the free offer of the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know you call upon him for salvation, but you don't. We know it's, well, you're not able to. But if the, the Spirit is stirring you, if there's that operation of the Spirit, yield to it. Say, God, have mercy to, on me, a sinner. God, would you send your Spirit to give me a new heart? Oh, God, rescue and deliver me. My friends, those of you that are united to Christ, there was something like that happening in your life. The Spirit of God came upon you and convicted you of your sin. He gave you a new heart. You were aware of your sin. He renewed your will. He gave you faith unto repentance. You called upon the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, and that was all of God until you cried out. That was the effectual working of the Holy Spirit. That God should be praised and no man should boast. It's all of God. And so that's when the Spirit's working, prompting, calling. Yield. Surrender to the living of God. Don't harden your heart. Don't let that moment pass. Pharaoh let it pass for five plagues. And then God hardened his heart. Pharaoh clearly was reprobate. As John 3.19 tells us, 
Those who do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are condemned already. Why? Because they're children of Adam, born into the world, sinners, already condemned. And it is only by God's grace that such a one can be rescued and delivered. Let us marvel and wonder and worship the God of heaven for the work of salvation accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would save any of us. Wonder of wonders. Oh, saints of God that have experienced the powerful working of God, wonder of wonder, bless his holy name. It should compel you week by week to come and to worship the God who has had mercy on your souls because it was his good pleasure. Not because you're wise. Not because you're wealthy. Not because you were better than other people. It's merely out of God's good pleasure. He had appointed you for salvation from before the foundation of the earth. Give him all the praise. Amen? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do marvel and wonder at your mighty work of salvation. These plagues are terrifying to behold. Lord, we can only imagine what it must have been like for the land to be so afflicted. But Lord, what are they in comparison of falling into the hands of the living God for all eternity under your wrath? Oh God, we rejoice that there is salvation in your Son that you have promised that whosoever will may come. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh Lord, send your Spirit to give sinners a heart, a flesh, that they may call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. All for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your psalters once again and turn to Psalm 106a. We'll stand together and sing Psalm 106a.